Well, good morning, church. I know it doesn't look like it, but we are legally at capacity in here again today. They need to up the capacity. That's what I say. Um, I do remember my password. There we go. So today is Valentine's Day. And I know that, I know that whenever the, these days come up on the calendar, it's like all the single people are like, yeah, thanks for rubbing it in, you know. It's Valentine's Day. Um, tomorrow is family day, and we had dedications, child dedications today. And so it, today is the perfect Sunday to, to slot in this message, which is in our current series. You know, our current message series is called Blessed. And this morning's message is called The Blessing of Families. Now, Every year, somebody will say it to me. We're not celebrating Mother's Day, are we? Yeah, but what about all the people who aren't mothers? That might offend them. Well, I'm not a mother, and it doesn't offend me, you know? I mean, that's like saying, we're not going to celebrate, you know, our little brother's birthday, because it's not my birthday, you know? You can see, we'll celebrate you when your time comes. We're celebrating this person today. But I do realize that when we talk about the blessing of families, for some people, this message will make perfect sense. And for other people, maybe your experience of families the word blessing doesn't really come to mind. And I do understand that. I understand that there's lots of people who have unhappy memories of families, people who maybe didn't have a family, uh, people who were orphans, people who were on their own, people who had dysfunctional families, people who had abusive families. I realize that, that there, there's all of these kind of things but I want you to stick with me because it doesn't matter how dysfunctional your past was. God wants your future to be healthy and blessed. And so if it's a case of, well, I don't think families are a blessing. You know, I had an absentee father and my mother was a junkie and my little brother beat me up all the time. Whatever it may be, you might, you might not have happy memories of, a fa of, of the past, but you can build happy memories in the future. You can create a better future. You know, maybe you, maybe your relatives, maybe your family members weren't walking with God. Maybe they didn't know God's way of doing things, but now you do, and that can change everything. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's good for the people who have got a family, and they're going to now build a healthy family, but nobody loves me. I'm on my own, and uh, no, no one even phones me. I didn't even get a text message this morning. I'm all alone. Well, just stick with me. Even if you do not have a single living family member, I want you to know that you are still part of God's family, and we're going to get to that as we go along. And let me say this. <clears throat> Anyone, I know in the adverts for, uh, what's that thing called where you find all your genealogy and all that stuff? Ancestry.com. Have you done it? 
No. Uh, Ancestry.com. I know in the adverts, they always discover that their great-grandfather was a war hero or something like that. But honestly, there's probably more chance of you discovering that you're related to Jack the Ripper or something. I mean, like, once you start digging, everybody has an eccentric family and probably a messed up family somewhere or other. I was reading this article about this woman. Um, she was, she's an author. I don't know who she is, but she was an author, and she had told this story online. And she was saying that her husband, her husband just, all he knew was that his father died when he was one year old. That was all he knew, didn't know anything about it, brought up by his mother. And uh, she said to him one day, what was it your dad died of? And he said, I don't know. My mom just said he died, and that was it. And she said, I'm going to do a little bit of research and find out. They lived in Toronto, this couple. So they did a little bit of research, and she found out that not only was his dad not dead, he was alive, and he was in the Toronto phone book. So he went to his mother, and he said, Mom, I've gone my whole life thinking my dad's dead, and he lives in Toronto. Why did you tell us he was dead? And she said, I don't know. I hadn't heard from him for a while. So he thought, okay, I'm going to go and meet. So he goes and meets his dad, and they have a really great reunion. And then they come back, and his wife says to him, look, you thought your dad was dead, but he didn't think you were dead. Does it not bother you that he never looked you up? And her husband said, honestly, anybody who managed to get away from my mother deserves to be left alone, he said. <laughs> so she said... Boy, your family's messed up. That was what she thought. Then, just a few days later, she was clearing out some cupboards in her parents' house, and she came along some old family photos, and she found a photo of her grandmother, a wedding photograph. But it wasn't her grandfather that was in the picture. So her grandmother was still alive, and so she went and asked her grandmother about it, and she said, who is this guy? And the grandmother said, oh, yeah, that's right. During the war, I got married to an English soldier that was over here stationed for training, and then I moved back to England with him. But I absolutely hated England, so I just left him and came back here again. And she said, did you ever get divorced? She said, no, I never bothered. I just married your grandfather. And so neither of these this couple, neither of them knew that their family was messed up until they began to do some investigations. And so we all have family issues. And I want to talk about families and even the family of God. We are the family of God. You want to know something? This family's messed up too because we are all fallible human beings, right? So let's start by talking about children. Let's start by talking about the blessing of children. Now, when I say the blessing of children, I'm sure the word blessing comes to mind with babies. Oh, they're so cute, you can't think anything else. But you do know that they grow up into teenagers at some point, don't you? And not all parents think of the word teenager and blessing in the same sentence. But the Bible does. It speaks that way. I mean, look at this verse here. Look at this next verse. This is Psalm 127. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. 
they are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is a man whose quiver is full of them. You know, it's like a hunter goes out. He doesn't just go out with one arrow. If he's got one arrow and he misses the target, then he's not going to come home with any food. But if he's got a whole bunch of arrows there, he's able to hunt successfully and bring the food home. And it's saying that's what this young guy feels about his children and feels about his sons. Okay, we're building a barn. Thankfully, I don't just have one son. I've got 14 sons, because I live in the Old Testament times, you know, and I've got 14 sons, and they're all going to come out and help me build this barn. There was a, the more children you had, the greater the blessing in that culture especially. But any of us that have children know that something changes, something actually, when that baby is born, Something changes, and it's like an automatic pilot switch clicks on inside, and you're a parent overnight. And before, it's like, I don't know what to do. I'm out of my depth. And then you just do it automatically, you know? Two in the morning, you hear that noise there at two in the morning, and you know, you just get up. It's like it's automatic. You're still asleep, but you do it anyway. And it's not just a maternal thing. It happens to the men as well. The dads also, maybe I shouldn't say this because the, the mothers don't know this. The wives don't know that the dads also wake up when the baby cries. We pretend we're still asleep because <laughs> you don't know that we have a little instinct that wakes us up too. So it says that children are a blessing. Do you know, not everybody sees children as a blessing. I mean, I in my life have even come across school teachers that I'm pretty sure should never have become school teachers. Not everyone sees children as a blessing. I remember one of the most disturbing things I ever heard a politician say, it was a number of years ago, it was a former president of the US, and he was trying to justify laws that they were passing, and this was the sentence he said, if my daughter ever got pregnant, I wouldn't want her to be punished with a baby. Punished with a baby. Imagine looking, you imagine when you held, if you've got a child, when you held that baby in your hands. Imagine thinking of a human being like that. It's the exact, it's the pagan way to think. You know, pagans used to offer their offspring in sacrifices to demonic idols. You know, it's like a pig so that they could get a better life. Look at what the scriptures say. Have a look at this. Psalm 139, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We're coming back to this chapter in another lesson. But look, look what God says. Look what it says about God. You made all the delicate. God made. Look, your mommy and daddy could have done everything they wanted, but until God put the spark of life in there, nothing was going to happen. Look what happened. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me, caused the, the, the DNA from the male and the female to knit together. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. 
Now, for those of you who are married and you've come to the awareness that your spouse is um, really complex, it's God that made that, right? He made them wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. You know, in those days, they couldn't see it. Isn't it amazing that today we can see 3D videos of that little baby growing in the womb? It says, um, I, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Those children who were dedicated up here, we saw them we can see them now because they've been born, but God saw them before they were born. In fact, they still have their whole life ahead of them, but every day of their life was written in God's book before one day had even started. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isn't that amazing that God has this amazing gift, this life form, that he has planned out their entire life, and he gives that child to you as a gift. I mean, it's really easy to hold that little baby in your, ha your arms and, and to realize that this is, a this is a blessing. This little child is such a blessing. And then one day you realize that the child is huffy, sleeps 20 hours a day, is sprouting hairs, and has become a teenager. And in our, by the way, do you know that it was, it was in the 20th century that the whole concept, so concept of teenagers was invented? They, it didn't exist before. You were a child, you went through puberty, and now you're a grown-up, and it's time to pull your big boy and big girl pants up and go out there and get a job and make a living. No, we wrap them up in balls of cotton wool and bubble wrap and keep them in a little glass box to protect our precious darlings, right? Or they go, oh, huffy and grumpy. Because it's an unnatural stage. I'm going to tell you, if you look, we, we, expect, we have far too low expectations of teenagers. Teenagers are capable of amazing things. Just think about the Bible. Think of all the teenagers. Joseph was a teenager when God was giving him dreams um, and telling him about his future. David was a teenager when he killed Goliath. The Virgin Mary was a teenager when an angel came and told her she would give birth to the Messiah. Most of Jesus' disciples were teenagers at the time. I remember years ago, I heard someone preach a whole message on teenagers. And not only did they mention the teenagers in the Bible, they also then started reading from history, from pre from before the 20th century, before we started thinking teenagers were dumb and rebellious and all of that, before that, when people treated them just like they were, they were adults, do you know that teenagers held positions of office, were politicians, uh, were admirals of the, the British Navy and things like that? Teenagers. 
Look, here's what the Bible says about young people. Ecclesiastes 12.1, it says, you who are young, be happy while you're still young, and let your heart get, like, don't be grumpy. You know, don't be a grumpy teenager. Be happy. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and what your eyes see. It's saying you're at a phase in life that you're here to explore the world, and that is okay and fine, but know that for everything you do, you will give an account to God on the day of judgment. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Don't let the excitement of the fact that you're now old enough to go out and do things take your heart away from God, right? Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore, <laughs> okay? Look, in the New Testament, there was a young guy called Timothy, and here's what Paul said to him. If we look at this, Paul said to him, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. He says, be an example. So a young person, a teenager, could be an example to a 40-year-old. It's not to do with physical maturity, it's to do with spiritual and emotional maturity. And he says, be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Run from anything that encourages youthful lusts, especially on the internet. Instead, Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship. Young people, you need to have friends. You need to have people around you, but your friends will become your peer group, and peer groups influence peer pressure, so make sure the companions you have have the right values. Will, their peer pressure will lead you in the right direction and not in the wrong one. Enjoy the companionship of those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. So if you're a young person, you know, get yourself a job. You know, uh, find yourself the right, you know, like, don't date a thousand people before you decide, and don't marry the first loser that comes along. Make sure it's the right person. Get a job, find the right person, get married to them, rent an apartment, develop a career, build a house, have babies, buy a dog, buy a cat, and all of that stuff. That is how you build a life as a mature person. Okay, children, the blessing of children, but now marriage. Marriage, your spouses coming together, becoming parents, and then their children becoming siblings, and so on. And you know, I want you to know this. God was the person who came up with the idea of marriage. In fact, marriage was the first institution God invented. It was invented long before the church, 
long before human government, long before all, every culture in the world, no matter how civilized or how primitive, no matter how cut off from the rest of the world or how connected to the rest of the world, whether it's in the 21st century or the 14th century or the 6th century BC, it doesn't matter. Every culture in the world has marriage where a man and a woman will make vows to each other during a religious ceremony in the presence of witnesses. Why is that? How come every culture has that? Because it, it traces its origin all the way back to its inventor, the Creator, who's God. Look at Genesis. It says this. It says here, so God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. That's what this, this message series is called, blessed. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. One of God's, there's three purposes for marriage in Scripture that God gives. One of them is for procreation. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over every living creature. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And I have been in the apartments of some men that live alone, and that is not good. It's not good. They need to pay someone to come in and look after the place for them. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. There's a second. There's a second reason for marriage is companionship. And uh, now you can, you can have companionship and not be married to somebody. You can have friends. You can have companions. We just saw in Ecclesiastes, young people should make companions with people who love God. But a special kind of companionship where you become helpers one to another, where you're, it is a lifelong companionship. So we see here the first two reasons that God invented marriage is companionship, a particular special companionship, and also procreation. Let's read on. Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God brought to the man the woman he had made, and the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. It actually works better in the Hebrew. She shall be called Adama, because she was taken from Adam. Okay? And, but preachers and the English preachers usually try to make jokes out of this. When Adam saw her, he said, whoa, man. And she was called womb, you know, and all that stuff. Anyway, so she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and doesn't run back to his mammy's house every time he has an argument with his wife. Doesn't get on his foot, mommy, she doesn't cook apple pie like you. you. You're supposed to cut the apron strings. You're supposed to cut the umbilical cord. You're supposed to be a man and now and leave your father and mother and set up a new family with your wife. And it said, and they became one flesh. 
Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And not just physically, but there should be no secrets in a marriage. That's a unique kind of companionship. Nothing should be hidden. You shouldn't have a hidden life from one another. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul quotes this passage, and he reveals a mystery, the third purpose for marriage. And you, you may or may not know this saying. This is an old saying that lots of preachers use. The Old Testament contains the New Testament concealed. The New Testament contains the Old Testament revealed. And so there are many things in the Old Testament that are mysteries that are concealed and aren't revealed until the New Testament. And this passage of Scripture with these two purposes of marriage, in the New Testament, Paul reveals a mystery, a third reason for marriage, and it's in Ephesians, and it says that he quotes it, as the Scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. You know that the Bible always refers to the church in the feminine, she, she is the bride of Christ. Now, I know like if you're a guy, I'm a guy, and it's like, well, I don't want to be referred to in the feminine. But also, the Bible also refers to all Christians, including women, as sons of God. I know you like to say, I'm a daughter of God and all that. But strictly speaking, the Bible says we are all sons of God, masculine, and we are all the bride of Christ, feminine, right? So the, the, the Bible says that the church is the bride and Christ is the groom. And just like Christ gave his life for his church, he gave his life for her and he protects his church and he provides for his church, and he is committed to his church. Marriage is supposed to be a a, a symbol, an illustration of that relationship where the bride and the groom symbolize Christ and his church. There's the three purposes for marriage in the Bible. Companionship, a unique companionship that you don't have with other people. Procreation, be fruitful and multiply. And also to represent the gospel of Christ, the groom, and his church, the bride. Now, this, this verse here also says something else. Now, a few years ago, I read an article, and it was this person had done a survey of psychologists and marriage guidance counselors and all of that kind of stuff, and, and said, what would be the number one issue? What is the number one need that couples have in a marriage? And they didn't know what the answer was going to be. You know, maybe it was like that they thought, women just want to be listened to. They just want to be listened to. And like, I've got the answer to her problem, but she just wants me to listen to the problem, you know. They thought that th- those are the kind of issues that often come up. 
This is what they found out. They found out that the highest need that women in a marriage have is affection. And the highest need that a man has is respect. Now, women don't want to be disrespected. They want to be respected too. And men don't want to be treated coldly all the time. They want affection too. But the same need that in a woman that need is met by affection. The same need is met in a man by respect. And in this article, they were so pleased by how this was a multidisciplinary study, and all of their science had come to this conclusion, and how intelligent they all were. And like everything else, the Bible was way ahead of the game. 2,000 years ago, God said, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. Affection! And the wife must respect her husband. Respect. God knew all about it long before the psychologist did. And so we see there, this is a picture um, of the way God intends families to operate. Right. Well, what about the elderly? What about old people? We live in a society that, that we've already talked about babies and the unborn, we live in a secular culture that does not value human life at both ends. The ones that have just been conceived and the ones that are close to leaving this world. It's like we don't value them. We pass all these. In some countries, you can legally get your granny bumped off by, by just telling the doctor she doesn't know what she's talking about. In some countries in Northern Europe, you can do that. That is where we're at. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the elderly are a precious treasure from God. Let's have a look. Look at this. Next verse. It says, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. I don't care if you're 99, God still got things for you to do. You will still bear fruit. You can still impact people's lives. Before you kick the bucket and go to heaven, why don't you get a few more people in the kingdom of God and leave a few more blessings behind? They will still yield fruit fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and, oh, I can't move any. Oh, no. I'm one of God's kids, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. And, and when, I'm, when I'm 99, I want to still live like an 18-year-old and jump over the fence and take my dog a walk. Don't you? It says that God has a blessing for older people. Look what it says here in Titus. It says, the older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. He's talking about the church here. There's this idea that older people have life experience and wisdom that shouldn't be wasted, but should be passed down to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes. Boy, do we need this today. You know, it used to, this used to be normal, but today lots and lots of people start life and they don't even know how to cook a meal. And, uh, and this, that's what this is talking about, passing on that knowledge and wisdom. 
to do good and to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. Older women had a, a position. Let's look at the next one here. First Timothy, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So, we need to, we need to value every human being who is created in the image and likeness of God, whose life story God planned out and wrote down in his book before they were even born, from the youngest arrival into our family to the oldest member of your family that may not have long in this world left, and everything in between and all the life experience, we need to value it all. Okay, I said at the beginning, well, what about those of you who have unpleasant memories of families or have been through hard times and so on? Well, I, I, did, I had a very happy childhood. I did not, I, so anyone who had an abusive upbringing or something like that, I've got to be honest and say I cannot relate to that. I was very happy and I felt very safe and protected and I had great parents growing up. However, I too have been through struggles in life. In fact, sometimes I'll meet people in their 30s who are still living in their mammy's basement playing Call of Duty every night and things like that, and I think to myself, boy, oh boy, by the time I was 32 years old, let me think, I had been a child, I had been a teenager, I had got into my 20s, I had been married, I had two children, I had been divorced, I had been a single parent, I had been remarried, I had a third child, I had a fourth one in the way, oh, and you're still playing Call of Duty? I mean, I've lived a, a whole life <laughs> there, right? And so in all of that life, there have been very happy times and there have been very heart-breaking times. There have been times of financial struggle and times of, of being exhausted. Oh, I've been through all of that. But at one point, I became a Christian and at that point, I became part of a bigger family, the family of God. And whether you have a biological family or not, if you believe in Jesus, you're part of the family of God. And look, look what this says here, Matthew's gospel. It says, then he, that is Jesus, pointed to his disciples and said, look, these people here are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus regards you as one of his close relatives, as a member of the family. Look at this next verse in Galatians. It says this, whenever you have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those of the family of faith. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament to churches, 
And at the end of each of these letters, he also always said, send my greetings to this person and to that person, to my good friend and my dear brother and my beloved sister and my mother in the Lord and my son in the Lord. Let me just give you a little example. Romans, it says this. It says, greet my dear friend Epinetus. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Do you see how he's actually naming people in the church at Rome that he's sending the letter to and saying, you people are my family. Listen, God, the Bible says God takes the orphans and the lonely and he places them in a family. The church is your spiritual family. We are the family of God. So whether or not you have a biological family, you have a spiritual family. And you have many brothers and sisters, and hopefully spiritual fathers and mothers, and hopefully spiritual sons and daughters, people that you encourage. And we want to pray today. We want to pray for your family and for us as a family. So let's all stand together in the house. As we think about family day, as we think about Valentine's and love and romance and marriage and babies, as we think about spiritual babies and people putting their faith in Christ and being born into this family, we want to bring it all before God. So let's just close our eyes. Let's still our hearts and minds before God and say this prayer with me. Let's say together, Father God, today I bring before you all of my family and every relative, my natural and spiritual family, fill me with your love. Make me a blessing to them. And I pray for your provision and your protection and your blessing around each one of them. May those who are sick be healed. May those who are lost be saved. May those who are struggling receive help. May those who are divided be united. May the blessing of the Lord be upon me, my household, my family, and my church. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's praise God.